The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. A reading from the book of the prophet Hosea in the eleventh chapter. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in their arms, and they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws and bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and you are our Redeemer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated. So I mentioned last week that through the end of the year, we're going to be studying and reading from and and talking about the book of Hosea. Now, I posted a podcast uh, this week, and hopefully you had a chance to to listen to that or to to do one of the the reviews that I shared with you about Hosea so we can all kind of have a a basic idea of what's happening in Hosea's Hosea's prophetic work. Um, But if not, it's okay. We'll still still cover a few of those things, and you've got plenty of time before, uh, before next week so that you can review that material and we'll all be kind of on the same page. This week, I want us to begin understanding what Hosea is trying to do, and what we're supposed to do with that. Because, of course, the the trouble with reading prophetic works is that oftentimes 
we look at them and we say, well, what does this say about my future? And that's not the purpose of prophetic works. That's not the purpose of prophets in scripture. That's not the purpose of prophecy for us today. What it's intended to do is to tell us what we're supposed to be doing now. What does it look like for you and I to live as faithful servants of Jesus Christ? And how can the, the words of Hosea to the northern kingdom of Israel teach us about what it means to be faithful servants of Jesus? Now, even if you didn't do any of the background work, there are probably two verses from the book of Hosea that you already know, even if you don't know that you know them already. All right. The first one is from chapter 8. Uh, and in chapter 8, Hosea is explaining what the kings and the, the political powers in, in the kingdom of Israel have been doing. And he explains it in this way. He says, they have sown to the wind and they reap the whirlwind, right? You didn't know that was from Hosea. That's in chapter 8. The other one is one that we've actually heard twice now today. Uh, we hear it every year at Christmas. Uh, that, that Jesus goes into Egypt and then Jesus comes back and he says this was in order to fulfill what was spoken by the, by, by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Out of Egypt I have called my son. <clears throat> that image of Egypt, Egypt functions sort of like an icon. Okay, it's a, we, we in, in biblical scholarship, we would call that a type, but it's like an icon or an image or a picture for us. Egypt represents exile. When Egypt shows up in scripture, it represents exile. It means being taken away or led away or captured away from God's purposes and held against our will. So this passage is a description describing Israel being delivered from Egypt. Now, the question that we have, especially as we're reading this passage from the, from the infancy narrative of Jesus in Matthew's gospel is, what in the world does this passage, this little single part of a verse snippet out of Hosea have to do with Jesus's life? Well, there are a couple of ways that, that we might be tempted to, uh, to, to understand that. And both of those lead us in a wrong direction, all right? The first is that we might assume, well, Hosea didn't know what he was talking about, but God knew. And so God used Hosea as a mouthpiece, and he spoke things about Jesus, even though Hosea didn't know. It, it was a direct prophecy that Hosea spoke about Jesus, and that's what it meant. Well, of course, that's not accurate, and that leads us to, to misunderstand the entirety of Hosea's words. Hosea is speaking to a particular people in a particular place in a particular time about particular events. He's describing what has been going on in this kingdom of Israel and the, the, the consequences of their behavior. And if we take this verse and we say, oh, well, it's not about them, that's about this over here. Then we, we misunderstand and it leads us to misread and misinterpret the rest of what Hosea is saying. But of course, there's, there's an equal and opposite error where we might read Matthew and say, well, you know, it's, it's Matthew and he's, you know, he's writing an important book, but, uh, you know, probably he just sort of, he, he went through his, his, his concordance in the back of his, his Bible and he just found a reference to Egypt and he said, hey, that works and I'll stick that in there. There's a prophet talking about Egypt. Obviously, that is also not what's happening. Matthew is very careful to include passages from the Old Testament because the story that he's trying to tell about who Jesus is and who Jesus was and what Jesus was accomplishing, the gospel, according to Matthew, 
gives to us the completion of Israel's story. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to God's people. And it's very important to Matthew that we understand that in that context. So we, so it's not just uh, uh, Matthew not understanding Hosea, and it's not Hosea misunderstanding God. So then how do we, as, as modern readers, reading this passage today, how do we understand this connection between the two of them? Matthew gives us a hint, but it's easy for us to miss. He says... This was in order to fulfill what the Lord spoke through the prophet. This was in order to fulfill what the Lord spoke through the prophet. The key there is this word, fulfill. And we're going to keep coming back to this word, fulfill, for the next, well, well, for, the, for the rest of our year, we're going to keep coming back to this word, fulfill, until Christ the King, I'll probably work it into Christ the King sermon too, just so we don't, you know, we don't end the year on a missed note. This word fulfill is, a, is so important to us understanding what is happening in Hosea and how we're supposed to interact with what Hosea is saying, the warnings that Hosea is giving uh, to God's people. This word fulfill, we can just sort of split it in half. It means to fill full. It means to fill something up. It means something is overflowing. One of the best ways of describing this is that it is bringing light into darkness. That the prophecies of the Old Testament, the things, the, the pronouncements that God's people are given through the prophets throughout the Old Testament are intended to be for them, but they're also intended to teach all of us there about God's relationship with all of us. They're intended to reveal God to us. And when Christ arrives, we see light in dark places where we only saw shadows before. Now we see things in fullness. You can think about it in terms of this, this icon that we have on the wall over here of St. Aidan. Now, if, if I was going to describe this icon, now let's, let's just pretend for a moment. I knew it was St. Aidan, but I haven't seen it before, okay? I'm standing up here, and I'm kind of, I, I'm, I'm a ways away from that picture. Now, I can tell you that in the middle of that is St. Aidan, and I know how icons work, so the people who are around him are important. And I can see that there are some scenes there. But I've got a whole bunch of lights up here, and they're all shining in my face. And it's really hard for me to pick out very specific details. But Robbie is sitting much closer to that icon. And so if we said, Robbie, describe the icon, he would be able to tell us probably who the people are in the picture. He might be able to describe to us some of the details in the scenes, those important scenes from St. Aidan's life. And then if we were to take one of these lights and turn it around to shine on that, then Robbie and I and you, all of us together, would be able to see details that we didn't see before because we were limited by distance, because we were limited by our perspective, because we were limited by the, the, the noise and the interference around us. That's the way that prophecy works. And when, when we talk about something being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, we're talking about light being brought into darkness. We can now read Hosea in a way that we never could before because Christ is with us, because the Spirit is in our midst, leading us forward into all truth. He's revealing to us who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. So what is this idea of exile? What's the whole point of of Jesus being brought out of exile, of Israel being brought out of exile. It's those two things together. He's saying that when Jesus 
is brought out of exile. That Israel is brought out of exile. Israel is delivered and set free and brought home. They're delivered, set free, and brought home. He says the same thing about Jesus, that Jesus is exiled, that Jesus is pushed away, and that he is set free, and that Jesus is brought home. Now, why does that matter for us? Let's turn again to our passage that we read today from Ephesians. We're in the first chapter of Ephesians today. And we read verses 3 through 10. Now, he says something in verse 4 that's going to help us to understand what's going on here. He says this, that God... He's talking about the Father, that God chose us in Christ, chose us in Him, that we are chosen in Christ. Why is that important for us? Why does that help us to understand this idea of of exile, this idea of being brought home? Because Christ is the one who is chosen. Because Christ is the one who... who who steps in. Christ is the one who becomes the true Israel. Christ, in his chosenness, is brought home. And if you and I are chosen in Christ, if you and I belong to Christ, then where Christ goes, we go. You and I belong to and with and in the person of Jesus. And if Jesus is being brought home, then you and I, in Christ, are being brought home. And Paul uses incredible, beautiful, powerful language. We call this the great benediction in in the beginning of Ephesians to describe what it looks like for you and I to be in Christ, you and I to be brought home because of what Christ has accomplished. He says that it means that you and I now have become holy. That means set apart. We've been set apart for a particular purpose. We've been called by God. It means that you and I are now blameless that we no longer carry the sin and the the penalty for that sin because Christ has gone ahead of us, because Christ bears that in himself, because Christ goes, we go with him. That you and I are now adopted, that we have a new home, that we have a new father, that we have a new identity. Who we were isn't who we are anymore. You and I belong to Christ, and the father is bringing us home. We have been redeemed We've been bought back. We've been purchased. We've been set free. You and I are forgiven. The debt doesn't sit over the top of us any longer. And because of that, we receive God's grace. Grace is his provision for us. It's his care for us. It's the favor that he shows to every single one of us. And because of that, we can draw near to him and receive the wisdom that comes from God. We are being transformed into new people because we have been brought home in Jesus Christ. You and I have been set free because in Christ we have been delivered out of exile in Egypt and brought home again. So go with me back to chapter 11 in Hosea. 
The story of Hosea is the story of God's people in a covenant that they are incapable of fulfilling. And they're incapable of fulfilling this covenant because they are faithless. Faithless means that they continually walk away from the covenant. And for a covenant to work, for for a contract to work, both parties of that contract have to hold up their end. Otherwise, it breaks the contract. It breaks the covenant. Now, a covenant is a little bit more than a contract because it establishes a, a, a relationship between two people. But this relationship that God is establishing in his covenant depends on you and I being faithful. And the story that we see over and over and over again is that we are not faithful. God's people are not faithful to that covenant. And so we're stuck over and over again. Hosea describes this this story about God's people being called to God and then walking away from him. He says that they do it in their religion and that they do it in their political lives. He says that they do it in their society and they do it in their homes. Every way that we can be faithless, we are faithless when we are left to our own devices. It's starting to sound a little bit more like we're reading from Ecclesiastes. But Hosea doesn't leave us there, okay? This is what's important is that Hosea says some really hard and harsh things about us and about our hearts. And we need to just pause when that happens and sit with it. It's okay for us to read the Bible and to be uncomfortable. Hosea is going to make you uncomfortable, I promise. He's going to make you uncomfortable as you read him. But he doesn't leave us there. Hosea is constantly moving us back toward the heart of the Father because it's the Father himself speaking to us in the midst of Hosea's teaching. In the midst of Hosea's words, he's constantly saying... I want you not to walk away from me anymore. What God is longing for, what God is calling us into in the book of Hosea is a longing for a new kind of covenant. A covenant that won't depend on my faithfulness. Because I'm not faithful. Because I'm broken and I am sinful and I am wicked. And that's true about every single one of us. And the longing of God's heart is for us to belong to him, to be transformed. And so God knows that for us to become part of his covenant, we are going to have to be transformed. Every single one of us together, all of us together as a community, all of us together as a people are going to have to undergo a new kind of transformation. We're going to have to enter into a new way of being human. And that's the promise that Hosea gives us. A new kind of covenant. A covenant that's not going to depend on our faithfulness. It's a covenant that's going to depend on Christ's faithfulness. And you and I belong to that covenant because you and I belong to Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we accomplish anymore. It's not about how good you are at following the rules or how bad you are at at following after God's commandments. It's about Jesus. And it's about you and I belonging to Jesus. That's the thing that transforms us. Our nearness to God is what makes us into a new kind of person. We are being transformed because we are near to God. 
It's all about Christ's faithfulness. Not my goodness, not my my desire, not my commitment, but about Jesus' obedience and his trust and his faithfulness. Now, I said in some of the, the earlier material that there is a central verse, a central idea that's going to be the lens that's going to help us to understand everything that happens in the book of Hosea. And it comes from chapter 2. This is what God promises in chapter 2. He says to Israel, he says to Jesus, he says to us who are in Jesus, I will betroth you to me forever in righteousness, in justice, in steadfast love. He uses the word hesed, in mercy, in faithfulness, forever. And you will know me. That's the heart of God. We see it here in chapter 11. He keeps saying to them over and over again that these people are bent on turning away from me. But how do I give you up? How do I hand you over? I can't make you like those. My heart recoils within me. God says to us, my heart recoils within me at the thought of giving you up. And so I will not execute my anger. But he goes on past our reading today. And I want us to hear what God says. I want you to hear the heart of God. He says that they're going to come after me. I'm going to roar like a lion. And when I roar, my children will come trembling out of exile. They'll come like birds from Egypt and like doves from Assyria, and I will return them to their homes. The lion roars and God's people come out of all of their exile, the exile in Assyria, the exile in Egypt, from wherever they have been lost and driven off by sin and death, they will be brought home. The promise of God is that we are being brought home because we belong to Jesus. The question for us today is, do we belong to Jesus? Have you been baptized? Have you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord? Do you confess Jesus Christ as Lord? Do you belong to Jesus? The heart of God is for you and I to be brought home. It begins by you and I saying, Jesus is Lord. It begins by you and I entering into the waters of baptism, being reborn, being grafted into Jesus Christ, into his church. And it continues every single week as you and I gather together at the foot of Christ's throne, as you and I sit down around his table to receive all of himself, for God to pour out all that he is, all that he is for us, holding nothing back, expecting nothing in return, loving us the way that only God loves. That's his invitation to us this week. Is Jesus Lord? The question we need to ask as we come forward to the table today, 
is Jesus Lord? Are there places in your life today where Jesus is not Lord? Today as we draw near to him in the midst of Eucharist, in the midst of our communion together, it's a time for us to confess. Before we move to the table, we pause and we say, Lord, we have failed you in thought, in word, and in deed, in what we've done and in what we've failed to do. Now is the time for us to give those parts of our hearts, those parts of our lives over to Christ, to allow him to be Lord, not just in words, but in action. To allow ourselves to be transformed into the image of Jesus. To become icons of Christ in the midst of his world. To go back out into his world to proclaim this truth, this gospel. That God is calling his people back to himself. That he's calling us out of exile. That he's calling us home. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.